ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, how you doing? We are so excited to bring you this interview with one of our favorite authors, Pam Grout. We know that you're going to dig this interview as much as we did doing it. But first, I want to tell you about two things. Our very own Natalie Roy has an online acting class called the Activated Actor 2% Booking Method. You guys, people are like slaying their auditions, booking work. It's transforming how they are showing up as actors and artists in their lives. If you want to know more about this online acting class, you can email natalielynroy at gmail.com or you can go to our website, thecreateseries.com and find a way to her there. I'm also excited to tell you that I am doing a spring writer's retreat on the West Coast up in beautiful Big Bear. So if you have a story inside of you that's like knocking at your heart, it just wants to get out into the world and maybe you're feeling stuck or inhibited or that ego inner critic just keeps yelling at you every time you sit down to write or you haven't prioritized that you want to write something, this retreat could be for you. So you can email me at hangylove at gmail.com or also find me through our create website. So enjoy this interview. Have a fantastic day. And we love you lots. Oh, (laughs) I have feelings everywhere. I have all the feelings like from my toes to the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we usually have a lot of feelings, but this is extra special feeling day. (laughs) It's turned up to 14. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, listeners that we love, we are so excited that we get to bring to you today Pam Grout. Now, Pam Grout (laughs) is an explorer on the frontiers of magic and enchantment. Can't you see why we love her? (laughs) She writes books and articles for CNN Travel, Men's Journal, Huffington Post, People Magazine. She is the number one New York Times bestselling author of such books as Think and Grow Rich, E-Squared, E-Cubed, and my new obsession, The Course in Miracles Experiment, a starter kit for rewiring your mind and therefore the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Pam Rout. So glad to be here. Uh, This is such a delight. So we have been following your work for years. And recently, Kristen has been sending me voice messages with so much incitement and enthusiasm in her voice being like, Natalie, I'm listening to Pam's new book. And we talk about you like you're our best friend. And she's like, and Pam said today, da-da-da-da-da. And then the next day, guess what Pam said today? Da-da-da-da-da. We've just been like devouring you for so long that it is such a gift to us and our audience that we can have this conversation today. It's so exciting. Well, as I told you, and I'll now tell your audience, I've been following you guys for a really long time. And I was just so thrilled when I got Kristen's email. I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. It's kind of like, wow, how did she even know about me when I've been following you guys for quite some time? So it's really funny how the universe brings us together. And you guys said, oh, yeah, I feel you know, like your best friends. I feel like you guys have always been my best friends, too. You know what I mean? So it's like really cool that it was inevitable that this would happen. So. And thank oh, goodness. I, thank you, universe. Thank the universe. I also just want to share with our listeners that I was feeling such a deep, like a pressing on my soul that felt so holy and from spirit to write you. And it felt like burning enthusiasm. And so I know when it gets that hot inside my heart that there's a reason. And so it was, it did feel like a miracle 
to hear back from you and to know that you actually listen to our podcast. And I was like, of course, because we're family. And I also want to share to our listeners, and I, you do not know the story, so I'm going to tell you in real time, uh, EQ and E Squared, such fantastic books. And when I was reading E-Cubed, you have this uh, chapter on where you basically say, ask the universe for um, to, to deliver something that you have lost, something that you think is gone forever, and ask them to, to give it back, just as a sign to see that the universe is in concert with you. So I was like, all right, Pam. All right, I got one for you. That was like my attitude. I was like, okay, all right, universe. I had lost my grandmother's emerald ring and had been gone for two years. And I was off directing a show. And so I just asked for it. I said, okay, bring it back. And I went home to New York. I opened up my apartment door and it was there on the welcome mat waiting for me. Oh my gosh. That is such a great story. Hey, you're going to be in my blog post next time. I love that story. I will take a picture of it and send it to you. Oh, that is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So thank you for encouraging us to make that connection. Yeah. Well, one of the things I always say, you know, when I lose something or I think I've lost something, if it's really mine, it will come back to me. If it wasn't really mine or somebody else needed it more than me, then fine. But it's amazing how things come back to me. I mean, just... So I love that's particularly profound, though, two years. In fact, I'm getting ready to talk to um, Diana Ray, who for years did the Hay House Radio, and now she's on Unity Podcast. And she's been talking to her about some ring like this that she's been looking for. And it's maybe been gone for five years. So wait till I tell her this story. She's going to love it. <laughs> I, I can't wait. And it's also great to see you. I want our listeners to know that you're wearing the most wonderful rainbow colored sweater. And then oh. you have this incredible painting behind you that's so multicolored. And one of the things that I really identify with with you is this incredible creativity that just pours out of you and how you talk about how creativity and spirituality are the same thing. Yeah, no, that to me is so important. I, I have this little test. I don't know if you guys have come to it or if you've ever seen my little TED talk that I did. But, I, you know, there's the LSAT to see if you can get into law school and MCAT for medical school. And I say, here's the test for creativity. You know, do you want to know if you're a creative person? And I say, my test, which is being offered for completely free, has one question. And here's the question. If you're a creative person, it has one question. It's one, are you breathing? Yeah. <laughs> and if indeed you are breathing, then you are creative. I mean, that's just designed in our DNA. That's who we are. And I think a lot of people you know, don't know what they want to do with their life or they're depressed or whatever. I think it's because they're not exercising this part of who they are. I mean, all of us need to be creative. We all are creative. So to me, that's just such an important thing. And to me, it is the same as spirituality. They're the exact same thing. It's that expansion and growing and being who all we're meant to be. So, and I feel like right now, the muses, if you want to call it that, there's so many different names for this creative spirit. But I feel like they are really auditioning. Like they need a lot of people to be out there sending these messages. So I feel like it's really a great time for what you guys are teaching and what I'm teaching. It's like, open up, guys, let this come because we have a lot of big things to do. Well, yeah. and I love how in, and uh, I, I feel like all of our listeners will love this book, Art and Soul Reloaded. And you talk about being like a satellite dish, that your job is just to open up and receive it. Exactly. I always say, I'm not, you know, people, and, oh, I love your book. And I feel like, yeah, I 
guess it's my book or what I was the secretary, you know, that wrote down this thing that I heard from somewhere else. And I think all good writing or really all writing or music or whatever always comes from something bigger than us. I mean, when we try to do it ourselves, obviously we're going to be cramped and limited. And then we have all these little ideas going on in our head. But when we just open up and you kind of know you've opened up, you just feel like you're in the flow. I mean, there's nowhere else you'd rather be. You're so in the moment. It's just like, and literally, I'm just a little secretary, you know, writing down whatever the divine wants me to write down. <laughs> so it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. We always talk to artists about just just let it flow through you and know that it's it's as personal as it is to you. It's deeply universal that that it is something coming through you. And I've noticed in my own life that when I've gotten into anxiety or darkness or tough times, it's always because that creative energy that wants to flow outwards is imploding. If I'm not expressing, I'm repressing. And when exactly. I'm repressing, that's when things start to, mm-hmm. to go south. Exactly. Yeah. And it's always there. That's what I love about it is that this, these messages or this, you know, whatever we're supposed to get, out, it's there 24 seven. And the only thing that can block it is us. And we do tend to block it. I mean, we humans do tend to block things a lot. But it's always there if we just show up. And really, discipline's kind of, I mean, that's kind of a not so great word. But it really is the thing that brings the creativity out, that brings this divine message out. If you show up day after day, you know, the muses go, oh, this person's serious. This person really intends to, you know, listen to me. And, you know, if you're kind of half-assed and you only do it every once a month or something, well, maybe I'll find somebody else. I mean, I feel like the projects themselves are meant to be out there. They're like living entities. And it's our job just to listen and, and deliver them, you know, not really to create them in a sense. But you feel so enlivened when you're doing this. I mean, you just know you're there because of how you feel. And when did you become aware of these concepts? Like, when did it start to really click in and you went, oh, I see that my ideas are alive. I see that I'm getting messages. What was that evolution? Let's see. I think in some ways I've always kind of known it. You know, I've always loved to be a writer. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And um, I don't know. I just noticed, like, sometimes if I did have resistance and I didn't, uh, I just don't feel like doing it or have something better to do. But if once I sat down and... And, and would do what I was being urged to do. It's like, it just starts flowing and it feels so good. And then my entire energy field changes. I mean, I can just feel it. It really changes me. So when would I say, I mean, I wrote Art and Soul, the first Art and Soul. The Art and Soul Reloaded is the one that just came out. But I wrote that maybe 21 years ago. So I guess I've known about this for quite some time. I mean, that's because that's all I've ever done. And I've always, you know, like, I've doubted myself in many, many areas, but when people go, are you creative? I never doubted that. I always knew I was creative, you know, and that my entire mission was to come up with creative capital because I didn't have any financial capital. So if I was going to create something, it had to be creative capital. So I've always been doing that, not because of the capital, but just because it's what I feel like I'm meant to do. It's what I was, you know, put here on this planet to do is to deliver these messages or to, you know, let my creativity flow. Thank you for being uh, such a wonderful vessel of these messages that you get. You really do show up and deliver what, what you're given. Um, I love this part <laughs> where you say outside you were Pam Grout, junior achiever, but inside you've always been Isadora Duncan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that killed me that you knew that you had this like crazy bohemian artist in you that was here to break the rules right and here I am in this small town Kansas you know I had no exposure to 
any anybody that was actually doing these things, but somehow I still knew this. This was mine to do. And I think creativity is, is important no matter what you're doing. You know, whether you're writing a letter to your mother, I mean, whatever it is, um, you can use creativity and make things a little bit more fun for yourself and for the people that you're around. I think, you know, using this facility that we all have really does make life better for everybody. And that's kind of our purpose is to, you know, use our creativity to, I don't know, bless the world and light up the world. Uh, and so many of our listeners are, are creatives. I mean, I, I, and we, again, we say that everybody's a creator. Um, you know, the way you set a table, the way you raise your children, the way you change a tire, it's all, it's all an act of creation. And I sort of have always thought of that as the act of creation is from, from nothing, from nowhere, there is a spark and inspiration, a muse inside of you and it becomes manifest. And so you are always part of a creative process with every single thing you do, every conversation you have. And I know so many of our listeners say, okay, but if I feel disconnected from my creativity and yet if creativity is who I really am, then what do I do with that? Where do I start? Well, I would say again, just start and give yourself permission to write terrible things, to dance horrible dances, whatever it is you feel called to do. Perfectionism, I always say, is the enemy. I mean, the perfectionism always gets way to say, oh, well, I don't know how to do it yet. I need to take a class or I need to do this or that. No, just dive in. And I feel like the idea itself will teach us how to do it. You know, you start out, you don't know what you're doing. Nobody knows what you're doing. I mean, that's by nature. We don't know what's going to happen, what's going to come out. But we have to be brave enough to be there and show up day after day after day. And eventually it starts forming. Like, I love what you said about nothing's there and all of a sudden something's there. It's like this miraculous thing. It's like, you know, the little tiny seed you put in the ground before long, there's this tree or a tomato plant or whatever. And I love that it starts with nothing and it becomes something. And so if we just keep showing up, it will form itself into what it's meant to be. And in the beginning, it's probably going to suck. I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, when you start a project, I mean, you're, you're feeling positive. Oh, there's something I meant to do. You know that. So you show up and it's like, well, what's going on here? This is terrible. I mean, we start judging ourselves. The little voices start coming in and saying it's not any good. So you have to get past that. And then eventually it forms itself into this beautiful thing. If you show up, if you don't let that discouragement get in the way, which, you know, happens to a lot of creators, you know, and they want to be perfect. They want to be, you know, George O'Keefe on the first round, but it takes, you know, discipline and it's fun if you look at it that way. I think, you know, there's this, I, one of the things I talk about in Art Soul Reloaded is these myths about being an artist, that there's these myths. And one of them is that this is really hard and it takes art. No, this isn't hard. This is so much fun. When you're really doing this, there's nothing you'd rather be doing. I mean, it's the most exciting thing you could possibly do. So we need to rewrite a lot of our myths about creativity because, you know, as long as you believe that, you know, again, just like we create things, we also, you know, create the world out there by our thoughts, you know, by the energetic field we're putting out there. So if we believe that, you know, in these myths that have long been perpetuated about artists, then we're going to create that reality in our lives. So if we start thinking, oh, creating is easy, creating is fun, then we start seeing that reality. I mean, everything, if you break it down, it's just a bunch of atoms of energy. And it's, you know, they're always moving and constantly changing. So we can, um, we can change that just by our intention, just by our again, ability to be there, our willingness to be there. So anything can be changed. And that's why I can say the crux of my work is that we think, oh, wow, this is terrible. What am I going to do? It's just a temporary thing. Whatever you're looking at, whatever it is you're fighting, it's a temporary thing, unless you continue to keep fighting it and looking at it, resisting it. 
that's going to say, but you can change it. Anything can be changed. And that's such a powerful place to come from. Anything can be changed. Anything can be created. You know, instead of living in problem state, which we all tend to do, we start living in possibilities that what could be possible here. And, you know, anything's possible. I mean, that's pretty exciting to, to get to that place. I really love when you talk about the myths in the book that it like breaks down what I feel like all of our podcasts have been like riffing Mm -hmm. on. It breaks it down in such a clear way. And there's one um, part of the book where you talk about uh, strategies as well. And uh, you had one strategy here about give up self-sabotage. And you had this really powerful thing that says, give up every single thing that isn't enriching your life. Come on, admit it. You spend a lot of time doing things you'd rather not be doing, things you do because you've always done them or because someone's told you that's how they're done. Ask yourself, is how I spend my time bringing me joy? Is it making my life bigger? If not, why the heck am I still doing it? Ah. <laughs> oh. So good. Why, why we, we don't show up. We, we have the creative impulse and we don't show up or we find something else to do or it's, and, and just the, the simple thing of, or you could give that up. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I love how in your new book too, you talk about, you want to be the Warren Buffett of joy. Oh <laughs> yeah. The Warren Buffett of happiness. Yeah. Of happiness. That's, that's my number one, uh, goal is to be the Warren Buffett of happiness. So I don't care about financial riches. I want to, you know, to be the Warren Buffett of joy. So yeah, that's just kind of a fun little thing. I didn't even know I put that in my new book. So that's interesting to know. Again, you know, when you're showing up to the muses, you have no idea what's going to come out. Like, oh, okay. So I, I didn't even remember that I wrote that, but I certainly say that a lot. So it makes sense that I would have written that in there. So thank you for the reminder. In fact, sometimes when I get discouraged, I go back and read my own words because again, they're not my words. You know, they're coming from the muses. So I was like, okay, I need to read that again. So thank you for reminding me. Anytime. You know, Pam, something that um, is interesting that you just said that I think is a really important thing for many people who listen to the podcast is a lot of people are saying, well, I want to be creative. And, but, but there's this feeling of like, but I don't want to do it if I don't make money or like there's, there's a, there's a connection to, it needs to give me a reward. Like I'll do it if there, if something comes out of it, if it gets sold, if it gets me accolades, if it makes me money. And I love what you just said about, you know, I I don't, you know, the money is part of it, but like, that's not, that's not the the reason. That's not the why that I'm creating. Um, Right. You talk to people a little bit about that process. Well, I think we live in a culture where financial capital is considered the end-all, be-all, that everything revolves around, can you make money with it? All decisions are made on that particular reality. Will it make me money? Well, I think when we put all of our focus on that, we really miss out on all these other opportunities. And I think that what really drives my creativity and what really is meaningful in creativity is these other gifts, these other riches that, that come up, you know, like expression capital. In fact, in my book, Banking Grow Rich, I've got five kinds of alternate capital that are much better than financial capital. One of them, of course, is creative capital. And from creative capital, of course, comes financial capital. But that's just so far down, you know, of what's really important and what really feeds our soul. And I think it's hard to break out of that in this particular culture when everything revolves around money, everything. In fact, I feel like one of my missions now is to really change that paradigm about all these decisions being made solely on money, because I think it keeps us from doing what our heart wants to do. I think it keeps us 
stuck in so many sort of self-destructive ways of being. And I truly believe that if you're, you know, expressing yourself and doing the thing that you're meant to do, the rewards in that will outweigh anything. And if it's really a, a something from the bigger thing, it will take care of you. If you can just, you know, muses, we'll just call them muses since we're talking about, I have so many different names for this outside force, but let's call them muses. And, and I just say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this thing that, you know, you're asking me to do. And I'm going to count on you to provide the resources so I'll be able to do that. You yeah. know what I mean? So like if if we are too obsessed with, oh, you know, I'm going to worry about how am I going to pay my rent or how am I going to do whatever, then we're not really there. So if we're going to be in service to the muses, we're going to trust that they're going to take care of those other things that our society thinks is so important. And I'm not saying those things is, that aren't important. I'm just saying that I think there are other things more important. And the more we can get around that paradigm. I mean, I think that's kind of what's happening in our whole culture now. We're realizing this whole emphasis on everything being money, money, money. It's just not working. I mean, even the people that are succeeding in the 1%, even they're not necessarily happy. I mean, everything's being rearranged right now, I believe. And so I think, um, you know, that we're going to change that story. And I think that's part of my mission. I think that's what, what we're doing now is realizing that so what we believe for a long time is crashing down and we're going to come up with this better way of being. Oh, I love that you say that. I have felt that way for such a long time that I had this like deal with the divine. I was like, I will do what you put in my heart and I trust you're going to take care of the rest. I love it. And that's all we have to do. Yeah, yes. that's great. Um, uh. The creativity that you teach us about in Art and Soul Reloaded, I see you applying that same creativity when you talk about our thoughts as we go into uh, the Course in Miracles experiment. And I, I love the Course, but I feel like so many people, as you talk about in the book, feel like it's hard to get through, it doesn't make any sense. And the thing that you've done here is not only have you made it understandable, you've also made it a lot of fun and really practical. And I'm curious when the moment came that you got the call to do this. Well, you know, I actually wanted to call the book The Courts and Miracles, the fun version. And it does say that on the back, but my publisher didn't like that. Originally, it was called Courts and Miracles for Badasses, which right there tells you it's a fun book. But I feel like because the message of the Courts of Miracles is so important, as you know, you said you've been a student of the Courts for a long time. It's such an important thing. It's such a wonderful resource for us all. But because it's big and it's like I call it the blue doorstop, nobody kind of gets through it. In fact, if you go to any gathering and you say, how many, you know, spiritual type gatherings, how many people here have the Courts of Miracles? And, you know, 99% of the people, you know, own a copy of the Courts of Miracles. But then you ask the next question, how many have actually practiced it and done it or finished it? you know, all but a smattering of hands go down. So I feel like I was sort of called to make it more doable for a lot more people because this is like this great resource. It's like, here's the answer to all these problems that you, you think you've had. Here is the, here's the answer. So let's make it easier. And kind of how the book came up, I started blogging in the beginning of 2018. I start every year on January 1st and I go through the lessons. And I like being on one on January 1st and you know, on down the road, because um, I feel like there's a lot of people around the world that are doing it. So it feels like, oh, and this little tribe of people, we're all doing lesson one on January 1st, you know, throughout the year. But anyway, so I was just blogging about my own journey into this. And people started sending, you know, putting things on my blog, they started sending me emails, you need to turn this into a book. And 
not that I'm dense or anything, but about the hundredth little message I got like that, I thought, hmm, maybe I should turn this into a book. So I sent a proposal off to my publisher, and next thing you know, I had a book contract. And that's really how this came about. It wasn't that I, well, I must have been feeling called on some level, but I wasn't aware that I was, you know, thinking about turning into a book. I was just offering it to my readers. I love to give things away. I just feel like that's what I want to do. I just want to give what I have away. So that's what I was doing. I was just blogging about it. And then, again, when enough people ask, it's like, okay, that's a pretty clear sign. <laughs> you know, I could have gotten it with the first or second or third person asked me to turn into a book. But probably the hundredth message, I thought, okay, I'm going to turn into a book. That's anyway how it came about. And you talk about the whole fun aspect. I feel like, you know, we really do want to, you know, change our lives, change the world. I mean, I think we all feel called to do that because we recognize the way it's been in the past isn't working. So I always say if it's not fun, it's probably not going to be sustainable, right? I mean, if it's something we have to do, then, you know, we'll start out. But then, you know, it gets harder to do, whatever. But if we make it fun, and I feel like that's kind of my little assignment in this whole big project, is if you make it fun, then you're more apt to do it the next day or more apt to, um, you know, stick with it. And that's what we need is that repetition because, you know, that ego is always going to pop back up. just like a piece of toast and, you know, try to get us to stop believing this to stop, you know, to buy into the world we see now. So if it's fun, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. And you just keep going. And I think it's that, you know, consistency that, that really does start changing our lives and our world. So the fun to me is really important. Everything I write, I mean, I just like, to me, that's more fun. I mean, I'm just writing about, you know, what I, what I like, what I think is fun. I mean, some people, some real purists of the Course in Miracles, they might say that this is sacrilegious. I mean, there is that possibility. But for me, that's okay. I don't mind if they think that. I, I prefer to have fun and make it fun than to, uh, you know, make it an onerous chore that you have to do every morning. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how sometimes people want to make a distinction and not talking about the course, just talking about creativity in general or projects that we make, that people are so um, impassioned or they see what they want to make as so sacred and reverent that then it's like you're holding it too delicately, like it's a fragile object that could break and then you forget to enjoy it. (laughs) Exactly. I would say play around with these principles. Don't work at these principles. And like when I give workshops or what is traditionally called workshops I call them play shops because again let's play with these ideas let's don't you know beat them into the ground because then they're not fun and then we're going to give up on them so if you're just playing with it you're not taking it like you know in, in each square you know all these experiments some people would write me and this didn't work for me and yet they were just so serious about all this I said okay well try it again but this time take it less serious and just play with it just enjoy it have fun with it and that's when you've got that I don't know, that light energy, that resonant field where things can start working, you know, because that heavy, oh, no, I'm working so hard and I'm following these seven steps and I'm doing all this. No, just make it fun. Play around with it. That's when it starts working. That's when it can't not work because you're playing around and enjoying yourself, which is what we're all here to do. Like Kurt Vonnegut said, we're all just here to fart around. (laughs) You know, Kristen and I, when we travel together, we have this game where it's like, how much fun can we have? And um, let's uh, follow the charm of what delights us. So we'll just like wander down a street and say, no, that street is cute. Let's go down there. And we'll just end (laughs) up on adventures together because we're just kind of following the trail of fun. And it's so funny that we've noticed that every time we go on vacation together, we always get great news. One of us (laughs) always books a job. Something wonderful always happens because we're in that creative childlike state Mm -hmm. of play where I'm not just showing up for what I can get out of it. I'm showing up because it's really fun to show up. Exactly. No, that's, that's how it works. Um, 
Pam, I just want to share with our listeners just like a little snippet of your book to give them an example. Uh, For example, like 186 is a tale of two Pams. (laughs) And you talk about how there's two different Pams that exist. One is the blessed Pam who noticed how lucky and amazing and awesome life is. And then there's the FML Pam. (laughs) And it makes me laugh so much. And, um, and you talk about later in the, in the, on the page, you say, nowadays, when I notice FML Pam getting noisy, I simply tell her thanks for sharing and remind her what lesson 186, salvation of the world depends on me, promises. The problems are nothing but wrong perception. And they literally wither and die when I don't feed them with, with my attention. Yeah, that's so powerful to realize that. And that really is the truth. We feed problems. That's what I say. We live in problem state. That's the state of the world. Everything we do is like a problem to be fixed. When what if we're just living in possibility state? Like, so what if that happened yesterday? Today could be completely different. I mean, you know, you guys could email me out of the blue. I mean, you just never know what could happen each day. Any cool thing could just happen. So, Once we let go of those problems from yesterday or those problems from even five minutes ago, it can be different if we let go of them, quit feeding them with our attention, for sure. So powerful. And I love that you have this outlook that is joy and fun and happiness, but the message that you're carrying is so deep and profound that we actually are feeding and creating and building upon these problems that then create all this like shame and guilt and put us in a prison and that we can change it so quickly. Right. Well, the Course in Miracles says, you know, we, the one thing we never do is question the reality of the problem. So we spend so much time, time, so much time trying to fix the problems, but the better tack is question the reality of the problem. And so often, you know, we're literally turning everything upside down, like, Kind of that paradigm goes that there's scarcity, there's lack, there's, um, you know, people don't like each other, blah, blah, blah. These are what we believe. Everything we believe is just upside down. The truth of the world is that we all really love each other. I mean, that's really the truth. So once we start questioning all these problems, we realize that there's this other story underneath. And that's just so powerful to question the reality of the problem. Wow. That is really profound. And Yeah, and well, there's a story in there. I tell about this woman who, she's a Ports of Miracles person. In the reviews, have you done, I, I know Kristen does the Ports of Miracles, I don't know if you do too, but there's always reviews, you know, where you go through all the lessons. But what I did in, in the Ports of Miracles experiment is I told stories, like miracle stories, which I love to share because I get them all the time in my inbox, you know. starts with, you are never going to believe this, you know. But of course I do because that's what I believe. But I, it's so fun for me because I always get those stories. But one of these stories was about a woman who, when she was young, in her early 20s, she was diagnosed as bipolar. So she did what any person would do with that kind of diagnosis. She read everything she could about it. She joined groups. I mean, she checked out every book in the library. I mean, it's like, I am going to, you know, I'm going to conquer this problem. Again, not question the reality of the problem. So she said she literally trained herself to be bipolar. She said after a while, she couldn't even leave the house because she'd been reading about all these symptoms, all these things that happened when she was bipolar. And she started practicing the course and questioning the reality of the problem her entire life 
change. Everything's different. She doesn't identify as bipolar anymore. But again, that's what happens. We get a diagnosis or we get a belief about ourselves. And then we do everything we can and it becomes our reality. But what if we question whether or not it's really true? And that's what the Course in Miracles does. And that's what she did. Now she's the Course in Miracles teacher, I believe. She's from England. But anyway, she sent me this story. And to me, that's like the greatest story in the world. What are we training ourselves to be? What are we you know, feeding with our attention. What are what are we becoming? It's pretty obvious and look around our life, but what if the reality of the problem isn't even real? I mean, what if it's not even real? And that's what the course tells us to do, question everything. And that's why creativity isn't just a hobby or something fun to do on the side when you have time. Creativity is your life force energy because creativity is the thing that will say, if not that thought, then what thought could there be? Exactly. I love that. I love that. I also, I got the uh, book on audiobook, which was really fun because it's your voice. So then I feel like we're friends and I'm driving around. I was in Los Angeles driving around and there's a lot of things on the book that you say uh, like mantras over and over again. And you talk about the, we will, we will rock you and how there are certain things in life that are just stuck in our head, like on loops. We've been so programmed to believe that they're real, that they, they're just there, right? They're stuck. And we hear them or they finish our sentences and we don't even question them. And the part of your goal was to create these kind of like new mantras, these new, by, by repeating them every day, that would become almost automatic. Right. So just like when you hear, we will, we will, everybody, everybody, you. you know, exactly would think that. So I, what I say is that when those kind of things come up or the next thing's already programmed in, that we start questioning that. So I want it to become automatic like that. So every time you know, oh, something's really bad or this is happening. I want it to be replaced, the rock you, to be this truth from the Course in Miracles that maybe I should question the reality of the problem or this isn't even real. So just to change what we associate with that because we have so many assumptions about the way the world works that we don't even know. They're so ingrained in us. We don't even realize all these assumptions. And that's what the Course pretty much does is it... Um, it makes us really look at what we're I mean, examining all these thoughts in our heads. Like, are these really true? You know, it's kind of like the Byron Katie work. Is this really true? All these thoughts that we're having, it may not be true. You know, we don't know, but we definitely need to question them. Oh, well, I, go ahead, go ahead Matt. Uh, Pam, I was going to ask you, what are you super excited in your creativity now? In, in this moment in time, what is like lighting you up and bringing you joy in terms of your, your creativity? Well, I have kind of a weird assignment right now, and um, I, I don't even know how to quite say this, but, you know, this book that just came out in January, it's my 20th book, and I feel like right now I am meant to go hang out with trees, <laughs> like these big old growth forests. I feel like, you know, they've been around a lot longer than human beings, and I feel like there's some major things that could be changing that I could learn some things from trees. So right now, this sounds bizarre, I'm sure, but I wasn't really feeling called to go hang out some old-growth forests. There's only like 2 to 5% left in the United States, so I've already got a couple trips planned where I'm going to go be in the Redwoods. I've got a place in the Midwest, and I've got a place out on the East Coast with these old-growth forests, so I'm going to go hang out with them. And, of course, I've got some workshops coming up, but I just feel like that's kind of mine to do for 2020. I've also got a you know a project to go. You know, when you're a creator, you're always got some kind of project. In fact, that's one of the things I was excited about, Kristen, with you being a producer. I've got you know my TV series that I love that has you know this message. So, um, so anyway, you know, I've always got. I, but I'm kind of more in a listening stage right now, in a 
you know, I think we go from, you know, outpouring to, you know, it's kind of a back and forth. And right now I'm really um, being called to listen. And again, to get my advice, not from a book, not from, you know, all the traditional ways, but really get it from nature and to be outside with nature. So anyway, that's kind of my 2020 calling as of this moment. This is what I'm feeling. Yeah. That is so incredible. And and I think that there's such wisdom. Kristen and I've talked about, there's a book that we've both read called Breathing, but it talks, it takes a lot of its wisdom from trees and how trees oxygenate and how trees operate. And it talks a lot about how we as humans can learn so much from how trees grow and how trees desire community with one another. So the way their root systems grow and intersect with each other creates longevity and health. And there's just like so much wisdom that that totally makes sense as like a place for you to ground and, uh, and be inspired. Yeah. Well, I always like the example of the Aspen Grove. Like if you go out and you see a big mountainside full of aspens, it looks like a bunch of individual trees, but in reality, they're all connected with one big organism. So to me, that is who we are. You know, we look like we're all these separate individuals, but we really are one, like those aspen trees. So yeah, I think trees have so much to teach us. You know, they take care of each other. They um, they send out messages. I mean, if one tree gets, you know, invaded by some kind of pest, it'll send out a message so its fellow trees will, you know, put up resistance to, you know, avoid those pests. It's like they're constantly trying to help each other out and communicate in ways we don't even begin to understand so I'm pretty excited about the whole tree thing and I've always been a tree hugger you know I've always done that in fact I talked about knee squared about sending messages through trees I think I wrote about that knee squared but how if you want something you know send it to the you know go hug the tree out of the front yard and send it to wherever you want it to go and the trees will send it there so I've always you know been kind of a weirdo tree person but you know it's funny like I've always considered myself a weirdo or you know kind of what Oh, but, but here's my funny thing, Alexa. My friend Anita Morjani, she'll say, you know, people tell me weird, tell me I'm weird and I almost fall off my unicorn <laughs> every time I hear that. You know, because I do think a lot more people now are starting to embrace these principles. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. You guys are from the coast, so you probably get more people there in tune. But, you know, here in the Midwest, I'm kind of a little bit of a weirdo. But I, I love it. I mean, to me, that's like the biggest compliment. Thank you. Thank you for calling me a weirdo or whatever. <laughs> it could be mostly in my own imagination anyway. Because I did, I mean, we have doctors, you know, that do these experiments and send me these stories. And people, you know, across the board are doing it. So I may, it may not be as far out there as I used to think it was. <laughs> Just that I've been being far out there a long time ago, but I think people are starting to catch up and get into this stuff. I love how you embrace your far outness and you keep giving it more and more permission for expression and that you see it. And I feel this so deeply in your work as the divine living as you, as this Pam grout on the planet and as you allow yourself to like almost like lean into all those like funky fun playful weird places more of the divine is expressed and something that was helpful for me in in uh, the course of miracles experiment is you, you know you have all these fun ways that you call the divine all these like funny and you, you use all different ones but there's that phrase I am as the dude created me like one of those mantras that gets said uh-huh. over and over again. But what I found in like the rewiring of my own neural pathways as I was listening, that when I would come up against like an old thought that would want to say, I'm to this, or I'm not enough blank, what I literally could hear your voice in my head go, <laughs> I am as the dude created me. And there was something in just being able to have that, like as like a bite-sized nugget that kept me going, oh, I just 
am as the divine made me. Here I am. I'm not to this or not enough this. I am perfect, done, the end. I love that. And we, you know, and the thing I love about that too is that because God, the word God has a lot of baggage. So of course, in the course, the original course in miracles, it would say, I am as God created. Well, I think there's a lot of people that automatically tune out. God, I don't, you know what I mean? But just a lot of baggage. So I think saying I am as the dude created me, that's a lot more fun. And we won't put up the resistance to it like we might with the word God. So I do think that's part of my assignment too, is to kind of change that terminology. So people won't automatically put up that big curtain and say, God, I don't want nothing to do with it. So anyway, I think that is, you know, my assignment. <laughs> I call it the mothership, um, the field of infinite potentiality, radiant X. I mean, I've got, oh, I don't know, probably 300 names for this force that's out there. Because it doesn't really matter what you call it. It just matters that you call it forth. I mean, to me, that's the important thing. So mm. so the more names, the better. <laughs> yeah. And at, kind of off of what Kristen was saying about the, am I to this? Am I not enough this? I do think that we, as artists, as creators, and I know this to be true for a lot of our listeners, there's this compare and despair. There's this separation between some creators and me. And there's something that you, you, you said early on in uh, Art and Soul Reloaded. You talked about um, that we make the mistake of assuming that the great masters get up each morning and pour a cup of coffee and commence to pour out genius. Um, and then you said, um, you know, the, the thing is, is just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just show up. Just do your work. Saying working artists haven't conquered their shaking knees. Sir Lawrence Olivier suffered tremendous stage fright. John Steinbeck often felt like an imposter. And George Orwell endured a lifetime of unpopularity and insecurity. The only real difference between you and them is they kept on scribbling and acting even when their hearts were pounding and their flying monkeys were squawking. Exactly. I thought in fact, that you know, was in- great. Yeah, in Art and Soul Reloaded, all 52 of the little segments that you do, you know, one for each week of the year, I have a story, and I don't remember now what I called it, they're just like us or they're no different than us, and so I talk about, you know, 52 people that we all would know that are famous that we think, oh, they're those geniuses that, you know, every one of those 52 stories has how they overcame something or how they believe something about themselves, just like the rest of us believe. For example, this one just blew me away. Okay, Abraham Lincoln, I mean, he's famous for his... Was it the Emancipation? Whatever that was that he came up with. The Emancipation Proclamation. Was that the yeah. one with 177 yeah. words or something like that? He was so insecure and thought, I mean, here this is something we quote to this day. It's like this famous thing, but he felt like it wasn't well written. So it's like even oh. Abraham Lincoln. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Another story I heard that was really interesting. You guys know who Neil Diamond is? Yeah. He's a, he's a writer. Well, anyway, he was at some party and he was feeling like the imposter syndrome. Like, uh, I'm not as good as all these people, whatever. So he's over in the corner and this guy ambles over to him and says, hey, my name's Neil too. I'm, I'm feeling like I don't belong here with all these greats or whatever. And the guy that came over and talked to him was Neil Armstrong. <laughs> so even Neil Armstrong, you know what I mean? It's like, we all have those voices that tell us we're not good enough. We all have that imposter syndrome. And that's why I put that, you know, they're just like us or however I worded it, I don't remember now in that book. Because once you realize you're no different than anybody else, every person feels insecurity and doubts themselves from time to time. But again, you just have to keep scribbling, keep painting, keep whatever it is you're being called to do, despite those voices in your head and know that they're just posers and they're not really, it's just the ego, you know, trying to, pull you off, which is the ego's job, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I love thinking about how the universe is self-correcting. And so if you just keep working, if you just and, and playing, experimenting, uh, being available, letting creativity flow through you, it's taking you somewhere. And I like to joke about, you know, with my show Rock of Ages, I directed the, it badly four times before I got <laughs> to a good one on the fifth time. But uh-huh. I, had to, I had to learn about what it wasn't to learn what it was. Exactly. I love that story. I didn't realize that, but that's really cool because that's the truth of the way it is. If you'd have given up, you know, okay, the first one wasn't whatever you wanted. It wouldn't have been, look what eventually emerged from that. So that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. You may be in my next book. I I do love those stories. (laughs) Those little reminders that we all need. You know, it's like all of us. We're all the same. We're all, you know, thinking those thoughts about ourselves, but they're not true. They're not true. Oh, uh, it's not true. And we don't even question it. As you said, you know, we, we don't even question if it's true or not. And we really let it dictate what, what our experience is. Do you have a favorite lesson from A Course in Miracles? Well, I do love I Am as the Dude Created Me. But another one I like a lot is Love Created Me Like Itself or I Am Love. And, you know, that's who I am. I, I don't remember exactly how it's worded, but I do love the ones about love and being, oh, um, God is what love and therefore so am I. I think it's how it's said in the course. I don't know if that's how I say it in Courts and Miracles Experiment. God is what love, you know, that's really all God is, even though we have all these other associations with it. And that's what I am too, is nothing but love. And love is this energy that embraces everything, that expresses everything, that has no fear. So I really like that one. But, you know, I'm one of these people that depends on the day, like, you know, I, I'm a travel writer, so people, where's your favorite place? And I'm always like, wherever I last was, you know, so probably my favorite Course in Miracles lesson is the one I did today. I'm just always like, oh, hey, I, I love this. So anyway, it, it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, people ask us that too. Which is your favorite podcast? I'm like, probably the next one that we do. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like yeah. that gratitude, you know, loving everything because everything's beautiful if you have the right attitude. <laughs> Yeah. And if there's anything that you would just want our listeners to know uh, today in listening to you and in learning about your work, is there anything that you just want someone to know? Maybe if they are on their path, perhaps that they're struggling, uh, that you remember as solace for yourself? Well, if people knew how much they're loved by the universe and how much they're being called by the universe. And that's the term I'm using now. They would have no reason to ever doubt or fear. So if you really knew the truth of, of, of the reality of the world, there would be nothing to fear. So I love holding on to that. And I also love this idea that while, you know, we're in these bodies and doing this, you know, physical thing, that there's this other thing going on that we're also doing, you know, that there, the love's going on, the, the connection with God, all that's going on at the same time. And it's just so comforting when things look bad in our mind and our little FML lives, but there's this other greater reality going on. But again, just knowing how much we're loved and how much is available for every one of us, every one of us. So I think, you know, there'd be no reason to ever fear. So that's my thought at the moment. (laughs) Every one of us. We tell artists all the time, you wouldn't have the desire if the universe didn't love you this much and want that for you. You know, that who do you think your desire in the first place? (laughs) Yeah, like that's the proof. Yeah. Like your desire is enough. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to do with your life what feels good. Exactly. Oh, so great. Thank you so much for spending this time with us on our podcast. You mentioned you have some workshops. I'm imagining they're all on your website. 
Most of them are. I'm one of these don't keep up with my website sort of thing. I don't know if I put them on there or not. I'll be in California in um, June. I'll be at Omega Institute in July doing a week-long workshop with another Course in Miracles teacher. I'm going to be at the Idaho Wellness. I can't remember what it's called in the Sun Valley, Idaho. So I've got a few things like that coming up. And if they're not on my website yet, you've just reminded me that I need them on my website. So thank you for that. And if people who are listening love you and uh, obviously they can go and buy your books, but if they want to follow your blog and those kinds of things, where would they go to do that? If you can know my name, pamgrout.com, you know, I'm all socials, Pam Grout, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all of it, just my name. And you'll, you'll be able to find me. I'm all over the place. So wonderful. I know that you and this podcast and your work and just who you are and how much you are enjoying your own incarnation and your own creativity <laughs> is such an inspiration and creating a possibility for people who didn't know it could look like that. So I'm just so honored that you uh, came into our lives in this very serendipitous way and that your work is on the planet for us to enjoy and for other people to enjoy. And I'm so excited for where you and your creativity are going next as well. Yeah, well, I, everything you just said, I echo back to you because to me, every single thing you said, I relate to. And so thank you so much. I mean, I'm so honored to be, I mean, you guys were on my wish list and here you are. So anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. We just love you and we think you're amazing. Well, I love you guys too. Ah, <laughs> party. And go hug a tree for us, Pam. And um, we cannot wait to see you in person one of these days. That sounds good. Thank you guys. Keep the love party going. That's right. <laughs> Woo! Thank you so much for listening. We love to feel like we have friends all over the world in you who are committed to doing their dream on the planet. And if you like this podcast and you want to find out more about what we're doing or who we are, our pop-up classes, our online classes, you can check all of that out at thecreateseries.com. And if you want to be part of our Facebook community, you can go to the Create Community page. That's C period R period E period A period T period E period community. And if you loved this podcast, why not share it with a friend?